Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Thank you for joining me for this second hour of Mornings with Carmen on this 17th of December, 2019. If you missed the first hour, uh, let me encourage you at some point today to go to MyFaithRadio.com, grab the podcast. Uh, you're going to want to hear, um, uh, well, in particular, my conversation with, with Kelly Minter. Uh, I, I just want to say I want a place at her table, and I would like for her to have a place at my table. And any time that... Um, I think that a conversation results in the desire to actually like meet in real life and do the hard work of making that happen. You know, we ought to take note of that. And so as we end this year, uh, as we enter into the last few weeks of this year, maybe one thing for each of us to consider is who has God brought across my path this year? With whom have, has my life intersected that I have thought to myself, oh, I really want to follow up with that person. I really want to sit down and break bread with them. I really want to, um, you know, see if a friendship could develop there. But you haven't actually followed up. Um, I, I have I have like a, a, a running list related to this in my own life. And so let me encourage you, um, find a little time, find even a moment to reach out to that person and say, hey, one of the gifts of 2019 was you, was meeting you, was intersecting with you. One of the things that I am grateful for to the Lord in 2019 is that I met you. I can say that about each and every one of you. I can say that about you. In 2019, I am grateful that our paths have crossed. I am grateful um, for the opportunity to uh, join you today and each and every weekday morning uh, and to talk about the things of the faith and bring the things of the faith to bear on the things of life. Like, that's what we're doing. We're we're hoping that every single day we are applying the mind of Christ to the matters of the day in order that each one of us can walk our faith out into the world that God so loves, and we could do so in ways that honor Jesus. And I know in the midst of all of that, um, the waves continue to come. I get that. They, they come in my life as well. Um, not every path is straight. Not every path is smooth. In fact, uh, in my experience, none of them are. And so even though we walk in the narrow way of Christ and we walk yoked to him and he makes the yoke easy and the burden light, it sure is a whole lot more fun when we also walk together in community with others who are yoked to Christ. uh, And together we share the mutual burdens of life. And so I just count it a tremendous blessing of 2019, a blessing of God that I've met you. Uh, I hope you consider it a blessing that you've met me. Um, that uh, That is precious. It's precious the way God brings us into relationship with one another so that together we can acknowledge um, some of the difficulties, the reality of the pain, the challenges we face, and then we can do so together by faith. And we can say we're going to walk by faith and not by sight, and we're going to do so together in community with one another. One of uh, my friends in the faith with whom I am uh, walking is Justin Gibney. 
He works with an organization called the AND Campaign. Justin is an attorney. He's also what I would describe very positively. I'm using these terms in ways that I hope you only hear as positive, a social justice activist or organizer or mobilizer. I mean, Justin is really um, seeking to preach. He's not, he, he might resist that term, but he preaches. If you've ever heard him speak, his rhetoric is preacher rhetoric. Um, he really seeks to move not only the heart, but the feet and the hands. And so uh, mobilizing the people of God for all of the good work that we can do in community together uh, particularly in the political realm. Uh, that is really, you know, Justin's passion point. He is also a student studying at uh, at RTS in Atlanta, Reformed Theological Seminary. And so um, we just really appreciate that at the end of this semester, he's coming to join us again today. So up next, Justin Gibney from the AND Campaign. Justin Gibney uh, is back in, technically he's in probably in his own house, but he's he's back in the house. He's back here in uh, what we consider sort of the virtual studio. Justin, welcome back. Hey, Carmen. Thanks for having me. So um, Paul just sent me an, uh, a link that says that Atlanta, Georgia is the best place in the country to spend Christmas. Wow. Okay. Well, I usually go, I'm in Atlanta, but I usually go to Chicago, so... I, I, I think Chicago's up there as well. So um, let's see where Chicago is on the list. Um, I can <laughs> scroll down and look at this. Uh, oh, Chicago's pretty close to the top. I mean, Chicago's number five, so that's pretty okay. high as well. Um, what is one Christmas tr- – it just wouldn't be Christmas without this. What is that thing or that experience? The, with Without the Christmas song by Nat King Cole. <gasps> All right, Paul Perot, I feel like you have time to, to tee that up. Thanks, man. Okay, so Justin, um, let's uh, let's turn to a couple of uh, headlines that caught my attention. One is this uh, this appeal. It's at Time dot com. It's this appeal that people should stop being offended. Um, that it's time that we stop being offended. And as I read this. I thought to myself, what I wanted, I wanted to hear your response and your reaction because I, I think there are legitimate times to be offended, and so I don't want to totally give up um, righteous offense, and, and and yet I understand the point of the author as well. So I'd just like for you to talk around in this subject matter area. Are there times when offense is still appropriate, and then, and then has are there places and spaces where it's gone too far? Yes and yes. Um, I, one thing that I, I think is good about what's going on today in some uh, spaces is that we are more conscious of offense. We are more conscious of the way that words can be painful, the way that words have been used, especially in the history of America, uh, to dehumanize, um, to to uh, make people to exclude and, and so on. And so there's more of a consciousness around that than there has been in the past. And I think that's positive. And, and being offended, being righteously indignant about certain things is is absolutely a positive and, and necessary. However, uh, I think um, in our brokenness, humans tend usually not to correct something, but to overcorrect. And so now you do see in some spaces uh, almost a search for offense. 
um, almost looking for ways to say, you know, regardless of the spirit of how someone comes at you, if they don't say something perfect, they don't say it in the perfect way or ask the perfect question, then, then I'm offended. And I think that does go a little too far at times uh, because offense, you know, is not all that useful if it comes from a from a hypersensitivity. Uh, you know, we've gotten to a place um, where there's a lack of even resilience. There's a lack of ability to have thick skin and thick skin is still important. And I use this example uh, often. Uh, some may be sick of it, but I think the civil rights movement is an example of that. While they certainly called out things that were offensive, uh, there was still a resilience. There was still a, a, a thick skin that allowed them to endure what inevitably is going to come at you because everybody's not going to like you. Everybody's not going to talk in a way that is going to make you feel good, but you have to carry on and you can't let everything get to you or, or else you'll, you know, it, it, it'll really paralyze you. And I think we do get to the point of paralysis. We meet miss opportunities to see people's uh, good intentions, to sp see the spirit of what they're trying to do when we focus on some of these smaller uh, offenses. It's also been my experience, Justin, even, um, you know, even just in the development over time of, you know, of, let's say, our friendship. I, I feel confident that very early on there, I feel confident there were things um, about the way that I addressed subjects that I did not yet know were causing offense. And mm -hmm. so I have grown and I have learned over time, but you were patient and um, and you you maybe let some things go early on um, because you saw a desire. Um, you know, I, I wanted to know more. I wanted to be a better listener. I wanted to right. understand. Um, and sometimes I need to offer some mercy and some grace if there's really a person who does desire to um, to develop in terms of their sensitivity to uh, the concerns and issues that that are different uh, in each and every one of our lives. Ab absolutely. I mean, grace is the, the grace requirement is for everybody. Um, it's not just for people in majority culture or, or either way. It is for everybody. And it's something that we all have to be paying attention to, because I think when we get into the category of kind of being hypersensitive or feeling like we have to react to every you know, to, to every word that isn't said perfectly, there's there's a there's a pride in that. Uh, there can even be kind of a narcissism in that where it all becomes about us instead of uh, reaching some kind of common understanding and some common good. And so, yes, grace, I think at every step, especially for the Christian, uh, on both sides of any conversation, there has to be a level of grace uh, and kind of to see past some of the mistakes that people might make and not to be legalistic about it either. Right. I mean, we can be legalistic about, you know, how we expect people to approach us. People ask a question about us really with good intentions and we get upset to where we can't even have a conversation because they didn't say it right. Uh, I don't think that's helpful. All right, you guys can connect with Justin at andcampaign.org. All, uh, all of the social links are there as well. He and I are going to continue this conversation in just a moment. We're going to talk about assumptions and um, political assumptions, but also just assumptions that we as Christians need to, be, uh, need to be making and those assumptions we need to be avoiding. So that conversation is up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire 
Jack Frost nipping at your nose. Merry Christmas, my friend. Merry Christmas. Right? Don't you love that? There, there are songs that just take us there, don't they? Uh, I'm continuing my conversation with Justin Gibney from the And Campaign. Um, okay, so I'm going to tee up this next part of our conversation by telling you about a little girl that I'm actually going to talk to on the show this coming Monday. So her, she's nine years old. Her name is Grace Anna. Um, and you can check her out at Grace Anna Sings. But she has written a book entitled, uh, Who Do You See When You Look at Me? Grace Anna is uh, is white. Uh, her hair is blonde. Um, but she was born with a kind of dwarfism that means that she spends much of her life in a wheelchair. She does not physically look like everybody else. Um, but the book made me, as I was reading it, it, it made me consider all of the assumptions that we make based on outward appearance. And, and even, um, you know, a kid wearing a MAGA hat, right? We make all kinds of assumptions about that kid. Um, it could be that it was cold outside and it was literally the only hat available, right? But that is not the assumption that we make. Um, or uh, a, a, a person who is uh, dark skin in an environment where uh, most everybody is, has fair skin. Um, we might make assumptions about that person. None of that is fair, um, and yet it happens all the time. I would like for you to give us a little lesson on assumptions this morning, those that we should no longer be making as Christians and some of the assumptions we should be making. Yeah, that's good. I like the, what you put on the end, to, end of that. I think as as um, Christians, we should always assume and understand and truly believe that everyone has uh, a human dignity, uh, that we should be treating everyone with love and compassion, that everyone uh, is, is created in the Imago Dei. And when you start from that foundation, some of the other assumptions that we place on people, we see just 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 can't be coupled with, you know, kind of that Christian worldview. Um, uh, and, and really, it's, it's about giving people a chance. It's about understanding, you know, we see even in the Bible over and over um, that, that people can be redeemed. And I think the more that we rely on assumptions, the more that we rely on narratives that may not be true about other groups or other people, uh, the, the lazier we get uh, and, and, and the, we miss opportunities to really uh, take a deep dive and to learn people based on who they are and the you know the gifts that God has given them. And so, yeah, assumptions can be very bad. There are a few assumptions that we have to make uh, on the positive that that God has told us that that we should know. Uh, but otherwise, when it comes to the negative stuff, I think grace demands uh, that we stick it in there and actually get to know people before we jump to conclusions. And then let's apply that to. Uh, the politics of the day. Let's apply that to um, political conservatism, um, political progressivism. Um, you know, as a Christian, I mean, I'm, I'm drawing this straight off of the Ann Campaign's uh, Facebook page. Uh, as Christians, I should not assume that any one of those is, is the gospel. I should assume the gospel comes to bear um, on both. That that's correct. Neither neither conservatism or progressivism is ordained by God. And if if somebody can show me the scripture where it is, I'll you know I, we can have that conversation. But I'm pretty sure neither is ordained by God. Now that doesn't mean in any given situation in any given time that uh, one could represent uh, uh, on an issue the gospel a little better than another one does. I'm not I'm not saying that I'm not trying to create a false equivalency here. Uh, but we get very lazy in politics, because uh, we often assume 
that the best way to deal with a certain issue is always through the lens of conservatism or always through the lens of progressivism. And I think within uh, Christian circles, that has caused us to become very intellectually lazy, um, because I would say that in certain situations, conservatism may be the best approach. In other situations, progressivism may be the best approach. But what only thing that I think we can assume is not that one of them is right, but we, we have to assume that we're going to have to be thoughtful and that uh, there's a and that the biblical lens is going to lead us to the right answer, not necessarily the ideological lens. And too often, and this is one of the main things that the AND campaign is confronting, too often we're depending and relying on that ideological lens, which is not always aligned with our theological lens, which obviously is more important. I always write down uh, little notes when I'm talking with you, and today my page is full of notes. Um, so part of what I hear you saying, I mean, when you talk about, like, intellectual laziness, I just know a lot of people, they don't even read anything anymore. I mean, they they simply take sound bites. They, they don't, they're not intentionally reading. And so my first question to our listeners every single day is, where in the Word are you? Like, right? If you're not in the Word of God... Mm-hmm. Um, then, you know, then then frankly, opening your mouth about things going on in the world, you're you're just going to be, you know, repeating worldly answers to to worldly questions. And that's not why Christians are in the world. We're in the world to bring the gospel to bear. Um, but I do also think, Justin, that there is a need for a curiosity. Like, right. I I am I am a person who is endlessly curious. Like I find, you know, I, there's not a subject matter that I don't find interesting. I know that not everybody shares that sense of curiosity or wonder. Um, and so part of uh, of intellectual laziness seems to me to also be like we think we're so grown up that we can't explore, you know, why something is the way it is anymore. Right. No, absolutely. And I, I think if if you think about the people that came up to Jesus, Jesus who were strident in their opinion. Uh, oftentimes they, you know, they went away not feeling so uh, sure about what they were saying, or Jesus let them know that that's not exactly how it works. And so, in reading through the gospel and seeing that there should be a certain level of humility. Now, I'm certainly not one of those people that says you can't know anything. There, there are several things that the Bible speaks very, very clearly on, but we need to have the humility to know that we don't get everything right, uh, and that if we hear other people out. Even if we don't completely agree with them, there may be nuances that actually add to our understanding and perspective. Uh, so, yeah, we always have to be open to hear those uh, those conversations. And if, if you're completely leaning on what's conservative, you know, a lot of people, once something is said, all they need to know is who said it. Right. Did the Republicans say it or the Democrats say it? And that I'm going to base my judgment off that. Again, that's lazy. And I think it can can take you away from being a faithful Christian, depending on what the issue is, because I know Christians that have fallen away from doctrine because the side that they agree with, you know, has, has taken a certain standpoint and they've gone along with that without being thoughtful about how a Christian should approach the issue. I just so appreciate um, your, your viewpoint um, and your willingness to share it and your willingness to continue the conversation. So Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. Um, What a great, uh, what a great opportunity for you and your family bigger this year by one. Um, that's just so fun. So yeah. have a wonderful, have a wonderful Merry Christmas. Um, thanks again, Justin. Merry Christmas, Carmen. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. That's Justin Gibney from the AND Campaign. You can, uh, you can check out what they are doing online at andcampaign.org. We'll be right back. Long lay the world 
So the Gospel Coalition is uh, is a ministry and a website, I would describe it that way, um, where lots of, oh, can I say this, smarty pants Christians uh, gather together for robust conversation and sometimes, um, you know, a, a pretty good sparring of ideas. Colin Hansen serves as the editorial director for the Gospel Coalition. He's the author of several books, uh, and he's going to join us in just a moment Uh, And we're going to talk about some of the big theological news stories of 2019. So up next, Colin Hansen from the Gospel Coalition. Have you noticed? We say you're valuable if you're pretty. We say you're valuable if you produce, if you can slam dunk a basketball or snag a pop fly. Appearance and performance, pretty tough system, isn't it? This is Max Locato. Where does that leave the ugly or uneducated, the aged or the disabled, the unborn child? Please understand, this is man's system. It's not God's. If there was anything Jesus wanted everyone to understand, it was this. A person is worth something simply because he is a person. That's why Jesus treated people like he did. Jesus' love doesn't depend on what we do for him. Your value is inborn, period. I know I don't deserve a love like that. None of us do. When you get right down to it, any contribution we make is pretty puny. (laughs) No wonder they call him the Savior. This is Max Locato. Colin Hansen. He serves as the editorial director for the Gospel Coalition. Uh, he is uh, active at Redeemer Community Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Serves on the advisory board of Beeson Divinity School. He's an author. He speaks into the lives of many of us on a regular basis through the Gospel Coalition. You guys can check it out at thegospelcoalition.org. Colin, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Oh, thank you for having me. So it's a delight. Uh, it's a delight to talk with you. Um, let's just turn our attention to one of the stories that's posted right now uh, at thegospelcoalition.org, and that's my top ten theology stories of 2019. So we don't have to do all ten of them. Um, let me ask an edit. Let me ask a an editor's question first. How do you choose a top ten when you have what thousands of stories that you could choose from? That's true. So there, I do have a secret weapon, Carmen, and that is that I can track all the reader data. So oh. I can tell what the readers have been interested in at the Gospel Coalition in the last year. I can tell how many page views we get. I can just tell how viral a story is going to get. So I, I do have a few advantages related to that <laughs> ability to be able to track through our analytics there. And that helps just to be able to, I mean, sometimes something that I think is going to be really important doesn't quite register with people in the same way. But then other times there's just a story that grips people in, in like the, the Botham Jean murder trial, uh, that case this year with the hug from the brother afterward. That's such a good example of an article where it was so obvious that people were fascinated with the original incident, but beyond there for weeks on end afterward, they were debating the theological implications of what had happened 
the nature of forgiveness and under a biblical understanding of forgiveness. And that's one reason why that story ranked so highly uh, in my end of the year list. So I I like this approach because it's not just the top 10 stories of 2019. It's the top 10 theology stories and how the gospel really bears on everyday life and the headlines of the day is a conversation we're kind of obsessed with here on this show. We want to uh, apprehend the mind of Christ for the matters of the day so we can you know, be out there in the conversations that are in the culture um, and participate in ways that honor Jesus. Like that's, that's what we're trying to cultivate here um, on this program. And so that's really what you're talking about. You're talking about theology stories. When you use the term theology, what do you mean? Well, everybody's a theologian at some level because we all form some way or another ideas about God, our beliefs about God, which of course is exactly what that means right there. Theology words, God words right there. So everybody, I mean, a lot of people think that theology, I think that's a confusing aspect of calling it theology stories is that people think, oh, that must be about something that happens in academic journals, or that must be something that happens in seminaries. It must not be relevant to my life. But all of us make theological decisions on a regular basis because what we believe about God, as Tozer said, is the most important thing about us. And that's what you find in all of these different articles. I mean, I really try to emphasize that, something I'm sure you guys have talked a lot about on the show, the Chick-fil-A decision there. Okay, well, there's a, you know, it's a, it's a big story. It's an important story. I look at the theological implications of that, and I say, what are a Christian company's obligations? Like, what, what, it, what does it mean for a company, theologically speaking, that sells fast food chicken sandwiches to be a Christian organization? I'm trying to get at the questions underneath all the questions that we're debating, because I think a lot of the times we should be having the theological conversation when, in fact, we're having something more akin to a kind of political conversation or, or maybe even a sort of tribal us versus them conversation rather than about those bigger implications. I love the question of uh, whether or not there's a, a, a Christian chicken. Yeah. <laughs> we joke about it all the time, but it's just fascinating to ask, what does that mean? Or I might say, what does that mean to you? You know, how did, when you responded to that, and, and a lot of people were, I think, for understandable reasons, upset. I just want to know, what, is, what, is, what does this fast food company mean to you theologically? How is that related? And then, of course, there's another broader theological implication, which is, what does it mean to represent biblical theology when it comes to sexuality within the marketplace today, within, the, within our workspaces? Uh, what Chick-fil-A faced is something that Christians in, in today's workplace face on a daily basis of, of, of how and whether they'll be able to stand for what, for what the Bible says about God and what the Bible says about our sexuality. All right, let's, uh, let's move through uh, some of these. Number 10 on the list, prosperity preacher takes job in Trump administration. Right, so you've got Paula White earlier this year who had been very close to President Trump for a number of years, one of his top spiritual advisors, if not one of his top political advisors. And so she formally this year took a job within the Trump administration. Many people may have seen recently a large gathering of Christian leaders uh, that was organized by Paula White there. A lot of people may not know her history as a prosperity preacher and as a pastor. Um, that, that's sort of the controversial angle there. But I think the reason why it, it ranks here as a theology story 
is the support of a number of Southern Baptist preachers for her writing. Now, why is that significant? Because Southern Baptists historically have been very hostile toward prosperity theology, toward health and wealth theology, toward the idea that if we only have enough faith, it changes the mind of God, and God's mind is inclined to be able to give us health and wealth in this world. So that was the theological element is all of a sudden, because of their ties together within the Trump administration and support for him, uh, Robert Jeffress from First Baptist Dallas and a number of other Southern Baptist pastors came together to support her. You can see some of those theological barriers falling because of their alliances through politics. All right. I'll admit to you, there are some stories that are not on this list that kind of surprised me because they are stories that I felt like had real legs in terms of the conversations yeah. that I was hearing. Um, but let's move to, so we talked about Chick-fil-A. <laughs> we got uh, Hong Kong fights for freedom. We've actually talked about that a lot here on air. Here's one um, we did not talk a lot about, and it's number seven on your list. Notre Dame Cathedral unites believers and unbelievers, Catholics and Protestants. Okay, I got to take it. We have to take a quick break, Colin. But when we yeah. come back, let's let's start. Uh, let's pick up there with the Notre Dame Cathedral fire story. Um, and then we're going to move on to uh, the rest of the list. I'm talking with Colin Hansen from the Gospel Coalition. You guys can check out the list at the gospelcoalition.org. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with Colin Hansen from the Gospel Coalition. You guys could check it out at thegospelcoalition.org. We are working through a list of uh, the top 10 theological stories of 2019. We have arrived at, uh, at number seven, Notre Dame Cathedral Fire. Um, t- talk about this from a, as, a the- as a theology story, because I, I heard this actually on NPR addressed this way. Um, and that is always a clue to me that there's something going on that's bigger than most people see. Right. So the, the, the theological question is, why did unbelievers get so upset about a church building to a God who doesn't exist or to a God mm-hmm. that they don't worship? That's an interesting theological question. Then, of course, why did Protestants? I mean, maybe some people just visited Paris and they had nostalgic feelings or something like that about this famous cathedral. But why were Protestants upset? about this. I mean, it's not even a Catholic. I mean, well, I guess it's owned by the French government, which a lot of people didn't realize. I don't think I realized until that, until it had almost burned down. But I think when you, when you think about the perspective, think about the issue from a theological perspective, think about if you've been a part of a building campaign at a Protestant church before, and people will say things like, we just want it to be as cheap as possible because we want to use that money to help the poor, or we want to use that money to be able to you know, to, to evangelize the lost or something like that. But then all of a sudden you get into it and everybody has strong preferences. Like this is the way a church should be. And I think that's implicitly what happened as Protestants watched the cathedral burn is that we have a functional theology of place that says that somehow our worship of God is connected to the way a a place looks and feels. But we often deny that in our explicit um, talk about that. So that's, that's, how I saw that as a theological perspective, that implicit theology of place that Protestants and, ironically, even unbelievers have. Okay, I, I love how you do what you do. 
um, and you're really effective at communicating it on air. So thank you so very much. Um, the next story is about the United Methodists. They have formally upheld biblical sexuality. I think we're all looking at this story in the new year, um, anticipating that the United Methodists are going to divide. How many ways they're going to divide is uh, still a curiosity. But the next story, which is number five, sex abuse in the Southern Baptist Convention, sparks broader debate over gender roles. Um, I will, uh, I'll tell you that even when I read this summary, I expected to also see some reference in here to the John MacArthur, Beth Moore uh, kerfluffle. Um, And so I do, I I concur with you at the conclusion of this, um, the SBC, I'll just read the sentence, the SBC was probably overdue for debating its complementarian consensus and basis for cooperation across differences of belief and practice um, in its churches. Uh, I am now a Southern Baptist, but my background is in the PCUSA. So um, if you ever want to have a conversation about how a person moves pretty dramatically on that <laughs> issue, I'd be uh, I'd be delighted yeah. to, to discourse about that. Let's um let's do number four. Can the president visit your church? <laughs> Fascinating story here. Another one of those that was one of the most viral of the year that people were obsessed with debating about when President Trump dropped in on David Platt's church. And people debated it from a lot of different ways, but people had this sort of rock-solid theological belief that was almost uncompromising toward the other side. It was this view of, of course, if the president calls you, you bring you and you welcome him into your church, you honor him, and you talk with him, uh, and, and you pray for him, because that's what the Bible commands us to do. So that's the theological angle here. Um, That was the approach that David Platt took, which part of the backstory is fascinating here that David Platt had, I think, minutes notification before President Trump had showed up. So he didn't have a lot of time to ponder all the theological implications of what was happening. But of course, the point is other people had a similarly strong theological reaction saying, never would I, under any circumstances, allow a president or this president in particular, from some people's perspective, to come into my church or to be honored here? Because that sends a theological message that people who don't support him are not welcome in this congregation. So, again, a massive sort of debate that marked a lot of this time this year. This is one that I don't think has quite as much—of course, we're going into a re-election campaign— Next year, but this story will probably fade a little bit from the headlines. You pointed out the SBC story, the Methodist story. Both of those will probably be big in 2020. This one is probably already dissipated a fair bit, but the theological questions remain and divisions as well. Number three, Joshua Harris deconstructs his faith. Um, we actually had a really interesting conversation uh, here on air with John Cooper from Skillet. Um, after this, because his, you know, his sort of online uh, Facebook post went went viral in relationship to to that conversation, um, and then you've already referenced the Botham Jean story uh, when a hug is more than a hug that captivated all of us um, and is really, I think, a significant conversation for us to be having in the culture across, you know, conversations related to race, criminal justice, what's what is right for a judge to do. Um, But I want to spend a couple of minutes uh, talking about the number one story here on the list. (laughs) Kanye walks the aisle. (laughs) So, yeah, nothing compares. And I got to share this story. You're a total giggler, which surprises me. I know. I know. Like you are a surprise and a delight. I love it. This is fun. I, I mean, this is this is what I get to do for a living. It's fun. To be doing this, I've been doing this for for years. I've been doing this top theology stories list for 
for more than a decade. But Kanye's story is just is another one of those that's going to go into 2020. It's just fascinating. I just this is what was funny. I was with all of the Gospel Coalition's editors in Nashville, Tennessee, and we were having a retreat. And I'd I'd stepped away from the table and I was checking the Gospel Coalition's Facebook page and I was looking at the comments. And somebody says in there, Kanye has just enrolled as a student at the Master Seminary in California. And I came back to the table and I said, you guys wouldn't believe this. We see a lot of funny stuff in our comment sections, but this is the weirdest thing that we have ever had in there. And several people around the table said, no, I've basically heard something similar to that. And we're like, what is going on here? We didn't even, hadn't had Kim Kardashian West yet confirm that he had been born again. Of course, Kanye's not really enrolled in Master Seminary, but of course, he's been mentored by a Master Seminary graduate, so who has been preaching at a lot of his Sunday services. But what we have here as a theolo- theology story is that in, in this sort of tribalistic environment that we have, where everybody is coming from their different theological perspective, and they're really sort of hashing everything out together in the marketplace of ideas on social media, Everybody wants to be able to claim somebody for themselves. So is, is Kanye going to be this sort of reformed and complementarian believer who's been affected by the Master's Seminary and been mentored by them? Or he's been hanging out with Joel Osteen. I, I think I saw something coming up as well that he's going to be working on with Joel Osteen. So is he going to become more of a prosperity preacher? Of course, he's one of the most famous African-Americans in the world. Is he going to take up the causes of racial injustice is he going to be woke enough for people? So basically my conclusion, looking back in this story, is praise God that neither I nor you nor probably listeners ever had to work out our theology under this same kind of spotlight. Absolutely. I mean, that is so difficult to do. And I just wonder if we might pray for this brother and just and, and maybe reserve some judgment there and trust God and trust people close to him to be able to disciple him in some in some positive ways. But yeah, that was ironically the number one theology story of the year from my from my judgment. Just only blame me <laughs> for that list. Well, I just I, I love it. I appreciate it. Um, I also like the editor's choice, which is the best of 2019. Yeah. People should check that out as well at thegospelcoalition.org. Colin Hansen, you um you're a surprise and a delight. Thank you so much for joining <laughs> us today. Oh, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it, Carmen. Absolutely. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. We'll be right back. Okay, my only follow-up to uh, my conversation there with Colin Hansen is to say that as a person who um, <clears throat> at whose homestead chickens are raised, um, we don't have any Christian chickens at my house. All of our chickens are naughty. I mean, I... So... Um, so there you go. No Christian chickens. Um, on, I, I, yeah, there's not a sort of a householder agreement that if you have animals, uh, they are somehow in <clears throat> in the fold. All right. Which actually could get us into a really interesting conversation about the soulish versus non-soulish nature of animals and whether or not animals go to heaven, which is going to get me into a lot of trouble if I go down that theological road very far. Um, so we'll just leave it right there. What a joy to be with you today. Thank you so much for um, for taking me along and, and my guests in, uh, in these conversations. I hope that you will consider being in the Word of God today in a particular way um, and that you will extend some grace in the conversations that you're having with others. I'm reminded during this season that everybody around us is grieving something. 
So let's be gentle with each other. Hey, have a great day. We'll see you right back here tomorrow. God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.